I, I'm living my dream life now because I get God gave me a motorcycle. I get to do rides with people, meet people, and I just think that's awesome. My dream life would look like I would be student loan free and I would own my own family fitness studio where families could come in and, and train and have fun and learn about fitness. My dream life come true would be to uh, be the superhero and the rock of my family. I think my dream life would be uh, being able to go anywhere on my motorcycle for God. Wherever he calls me, I'd be able to go at just a drop of a hat. Being free from the pressure of a job so I could pursue uh, more of what God has for me in my life so I can be a better influence. My dream life would look kind of like what it is now, doing the things that God has equipped me to do, a career in nursing and helping with the music at church on the weekends, to travel around the world and start a ministry in an area that um, doesn't already have one. Well, hello, Heritage. Want to welcome all of you at all of our locations, even those online. This is our final week of our Live in the Dream series, where we've been looking at how who we are and what we do connects to how God calls us to live and what Jesus has said we're supposed to do. In fact, Jesus says we're to love God, love others, and make disciples, which is why we as a church family talk in terms of living loved and linked and sent. We know we're created for intimacy with God. We're created for healthy relationships with others, and we're created to give ourselves away. And we need all three to be healthy and mature followers of Jesus. And we have a strong legacy as a church of leading people into relationship with God. It's, it's in our vision statement that as long as there's one person in our community that does not yet have a growing relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior, our work is not done. And we've had the privilege of seeing people come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, choosing him for the first time week after week after week. And every week we know of somebody making that decision, we light the cross. And this week the cross is lit to recognize those who made those decisions this past week. And we celebrate that because that's what God calls us into as a people who are loved. But the reality is, we've not been as strong in the other areas. In fact, it was a number of years ago that due to financial limitations, we made significant cuts in team and investments in our discipleship arena, in that live-linked arena. But we know for us to be fully healthy as a church, we need to be healthy in all three areas. And so we've been in an intentional process to restore health across the board. And that started when we hired Pastor Justin to come in and serve in that linked arena as our, or as our discipleship pastor, where he invested in groups and, and connections and, and establishing our discipleship process, uh, that spiritual transformation journey that we call it. We call it STJ, where we move from a tender to believer, to worker, to influencer, to multiplier so that we all become disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And Justin has done a great job in this first season to lay a foundation, but he also had a role in the local outreach in that scent arena. And he is now fully moving into that scent stream and serving as our outreach pastor, which is really around the areas of our missional investments and our multiplication investments which has positioned us to identify a new leader to serve in our linked arena. And I'm thrilled to tell you that we have found the godly leader to serve in that capacity, and his name is Jeremiah Gomez. 
Now, Jeremiah is somebody I've had the privilege of working with over a number of years in different capacities. And I want to give you an opportunity to get to know him today. So would you join me in giving him a warm Midwest welcome to Pastor Jeremiah? Hey, buddy. Good to see you. Dude, I don't get tired of saying I'm excited that you're here. And I, I get swallowed by this chair every time. We'll get you That's a booster right. seat. Thank you. Thank you. So, dude, I, I love that we get to be in ministry together again. I love Me you. Too. I love your heart. But I would love the family to get to know you a little bit. So could yeah. you tell our Heritage family a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. Uh, well, my name's Jeremiah. And I'm so thrilled to get to be part of the team, but I think what you'll discover about me and my family is uh, that you will, you will grow to tolerate me as you love my family. Like, people choose, choose to put up with me so they get to be with my awesome family. I support that. That's, I, I know you do. I think I would get affirmation there. Uh, my wife, Sarah, is Canadian by birth and American by choice. She's excited to vote for the first time in this, uh, in this year's upcoming, uh, or this upcoming election cycle. And uh, we have two incredible kids, Jubilee, who's four and a half and knows everything and is much smarter than her parents and makes sure we're aware of that every day. Um, and we have a son, Zechariah, who's two and a half, and his nickname is Ziggy. I'm sure someday we're going to have to ask him for forgiveness for that nickname, but he loves it right now. So it's <laughs> awesome. And we are thrilled. We are thrilled that we get to be part of what God is doing here. Yeah, I, I'm glad you're here. You've been here just a couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. uh, what do you like most just in this first season about living in the Quad Cities? Well, other than the fact that today is a beautiful fall day at the end of May, <laughs> um, we just love it here. It's already quickly becoming home for us. Um, we love the neighborhood that we get to be a part of. The people uh, of this area, of the QCA, have been so... Uh, over the top, warm and welcoming. We, we feel like we belong here, and, uh, and we just celebrate that. It's awesome. So uh, on top of that, you've had a couple of weeks to kick the tires around Heritage mm -hmm. and, and interact with the Heritage family some. So what are, what's your first impression of Heritage? I, I, I can only articulate it this way. Heritage, you rock. You're awesome. Uh, I, I love it. Every, every time I'm having conversation with someone who's part of the Heritage family, uh, almost every time, what bubbles up to the surface is this passionate commitment to see people experience Jesus in his fullest. And uh, I love that. It just it comes into every part of conversation, and that's something to celebrate. It's something I, I really resonate with, and I'm so excited I get to be a part of here. Yeah. Cool. It, it's, a, it's a blessing to be part of the things that, that God is doing here as part yeah. of this family. And you're being positioned as the discipleship pastor for our entire network, and so that Live Linked arena mm -hmm. is, is your stream, and, and so it involves connections and groups and the discipleship process, the spiritual transformation journey, STJ. Right. So uh, as you think about that whole linked arena, why is that important in the life of the believer? I think uh, I've gotten the privilege of serving. God has given me a great adventure in ministry where I've gotten to serve as a church planter and an executive pastor and, and a lead pastor. And in every, those, every one of those arenas and places, one of the things that becomes so clear to me is that for each of us, there is always hope. For every person, there is always hope and that God always has more for us in him. Always, always. And the spiritual transformation journey, the, the linked arena, I think is the way that we help connect people consistently with the person of Jesus and each other, and they discover more and more and more of who God created them to be. Uh, you know, what would it look like for each of us to be able to live uh, every day, going to bed at night, knowing that we had fulfilled our purpose that day? 
and uh, and linked allows us to do that and yeah. it works really closely with the, the other two arenas as we worship and experience Jesus together and go out on mission together so. yeah and, and when we live into those realities the best is always yet to come absolutely and I'm glad you're providing leadership in this next season to just move to the next level uh, in that arena so, so you're, you're not only in that role you're also on the teaching team and mm -hmm. your first teaching opportunity is coming up at the beginning of July and we've got some cool things unique things for that weekend in particular yeah. you're not going to want to miss that um, but I want to I want to take a moment to pray for you but I'd love for you to identify one way that we as a church family can be praying for you specifically yeah I've, as a family we've been asking God to to clearly go before us to make his path known and then to give us courage to take the steps that are before us. And if you guys would join us in, in praying that for our family as we transition and, and experience all kinds of great new things and challenging new things, that we would, we would know without a doubt what the next steps are and have the courage to take them. That would be huge. Yeah, great. We'd be honored to do that. And, and I look forward to you guys getting to know Jeremiah more. If you need to connect with him, you can use a communication card. You can contact your local church office. Um, but you'll see more, hear more as, as he continues to lean into his new role. But let's, let's take a moment and let's, let's pray for our brother. I would love that. And um, just ask for God to continue to do exactly that for you. Thanks. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for my brother. Just absolutely love him, love his heart. Uh, such a cool uh, privilege to see his journey with you and how you have just molded and shaped him, how you've pre prepared him, as you've positioned him. Uh, as a godly leader, as someone who truly hears the Holy Spirit, I've seen that repeatedly in his life. And I pray, Father, that in this season that you would continue to pour out your anointing of your spirit upon him, that you would give him wisdom beyond himself, that he and Sarah and the whole family would know what you're asking them to do, the relationships to establish, the opportunities to make the most of. May they just clearly sense your leadership and have the wisdom and the courage to step boldly into those moments. But specifically as Jeremiah leads in the context of our church family, as he continues to move us to become increasingly more effective disciples who make disciples, God, I, I pray for just, again, that anointing and that wisdom, that you would give him eyes to see, that you would give him clarity, and that through him, Father, you would be glorified and that your people would be equipped for works of service. So, Father, I thank you for my brother. I pray that you continue to bless he and, and his family and his process of connecting and setting in deep roots here in the Quad Cities to see your kingdom advanced and the name of your son, Jesus, lifted high. I pray this in his name. And everybody said... Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank Why don't you celebrate Jeremiah for just a moment? Nice to meet you. So we are wrapping up our Live in the Dream series, a, a series where we spent some time just looking at how a people who no longer live for themselves actually live. And it's not YOLO, you only live once, it's not survival of the fittest, it's, it's not looking out for number one, it's actually something very different. It's something that Jesus defines as his kingdom, and it impacts who we are and what we do. And last week, Pastor Jason led us into another parable to help us understand a few more kingdom realities or kingdom dynamics, as well as some kingdom economics. The, the, one being that it's, it's people before profit. And he also positioned us to really start to consider how we can awaken the possibilities in others. And that's a beautiful thing that God positions us to do in this life. But if we're not living by the principles and the values and the priorities of Jesus' kingdom, we can't do that. In fact, if we're not living according to those values, it may very well be that we're not in the relationship with God and with Jesus that we think we are. In fact, one of the ways to think about that relationship with God is through this kind of image. Now, 
I just want to reaffirm something for us as a church family. We are totally committed to having more and more people understand who Jesus is and understand his kingdom. And we know in order to do that, that people learn differently and we have to teach in different ways. Just think for a moment, like how you like to get directions when you have to go somewhere you've never been. Some of us like to be told verbally, have somebody explain step by step the directions. Some of us just like to have them written down line by line. Others like to have it drawn as a map and a picture. And then there are some of us like to have all three to make sure we still get there. But the reality is, as you think about that, every, that's a reflection that we all learn differently. And because we each learn differently, we seek to teach in different ways. And so sometimes that's just verbally. Sometimes that's with words on a screen. Sometimes that's with a picture. And even when you look at the sermon note guide, that's designed to connect all of those together. Because we know we all learn differently. And we are so committed to people learning that we want to provide multiple ways. And with thousands of people who call Heritage Home, we're going to continue to provide more and more ways for more people to know Jesus and understand what it means to be in relationship with Him and relationship with God through Him. And this diagram here is one of the ways that we can explain that. This actually may be something you're familiar with. Somebody may have explained this to you before. Maybe you've used this before. But the reality is that this is us and this is God. And we are created by God for God. We're created for intimacy with God. He wants to be in relationship with us. The problem is, is that there is a gap. And that gap is filled with sin. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And God is holy and he can't be in the context of sin. But God so loved us that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to live, but ultimately to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So when Jesus died and rose again, he conquered sin and death. And he gives us the opportunity to bridge this gap upon him, through him, so we can have a relationship with God. So whenever we believe in our heart and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, well, we're saved. And that's awesome. Whenever we trust him as Savior and Lord, well, then he saves us from the sin and the gap that keeps us from relationship with God. And when we make that profession, then he positions us in his kingdom. But that decision to surrender to Jesus, to make him Lord and Savior, and to, and to have that salvation reality, that is a way of life and not a mere decision. And when we make that decision, we enter into the kingdom, as I said, but we still live here. And sometimes we don't know how to live in this space. Part of a kingdom of another world, but yet in this space. And the Live in the Dream series has been designed to help us understand how we live here, how we function, how we live and move and have our being in Him, in the realities around His kingdom and this world. In fact, one of the key things is we understand that His kingdom shapes who we are and what we do. And we've been using a graphic to help us understand that. That when Jesus is truly our Lord and Savior, then He gets to define who we are and what we do. Our identity is in Him. And who we are leads to what we do. So He defines who we are, and He does it from the context of His kingdom, and He defines what we do out of the context of His kingdom. But our being leads to doing, not the other way around. It's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are that determines what we do. It's being to doing. It's be, do. It's loved and linked and sent. And there are some things about the kingdom that Jesus describes that are really easy for us to get. We track them pretty quickly. We get them. But there are just some other things because of their backward, upside-down nature that are a little harder for us to embrace and hold to. We kind of get stuck in them. Because this kingdom is different 
than anything we've ever seen or experienced. It's not of this world. Jesus said it this way. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. His kingdom's not of this world. It's different. And because it's different, we can miss some of the nuances, nuances of it, and we can think we're living into it, but not be. We can think that we're reflecting it and advancing it, but actually not be. And so over the course of this Live in the Dream series, we looked at a couple of parables that have helped us understand that. And one of those parables was the parable of the talents, where we saw a principle that when we start protecting what we like, we stop pursuing what he loves. And that is so easy to do. So easy. So much so that in another interaction that Jesus had with a young man who came to him, and the young man said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to cross that gap? What do I need to do to get to the other side and live for eternity with God? Jesus said a few things that help us understand some key realities about the kingdom. It's in Matthew 19. Let's check it out for a second. He said, if you wish to be complete, if you wish to know who you are and what to do, if you want to know your identity and understand your purpose, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, one thing we need to understand about this young man is that he was wealthy. And this kingdom reality was hard for him to hear and hard for him to embrace. In fact, he ends up walking away sad, caught between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Jesus. But the reality is that if we, we can get caught up in not understanding what Jesus is trying to teach, we can miss the point here. Because what Jesus is saying here is not that, that you, if you have possessions, you can't follow him. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we can earn our way to heaven or to eternal life by things we do. That's not what he's talking about. The issue here, what Jesus is speaking to, really relates to our possessions in a way that deals with whether our possessions have us. If our possessions have us, if our stuff has us, Jesus can't. And another way to talk about that would be this way, that the issue is not if we have stuff, but if our stuff has us. It, it's, this is the challenge that Jesus is starting to unpack here. The primary factor when it comes to our possessions is the status of them. Our possessions would be our treasure. That would be the things that we prioritize, invest in, the things that we value, the things that, that we protect and pursue. It's our stuff. And the issue is not if we have stuff, it's if our stuff has us. Because one of the things that Jesus taught was that wherever our treasure is, our heart's going to follow. And if the things we value, the things are, that we possess, are, are over here not aligned to God's purposes and Jesus' kingdom and his priorities, then our heart is not aligned to the things of God. And life is out of order. And we struggle. We, we struggle within ourselves just like that rich young man was doing. Wherever our treasure is, our heart will follow. When we value our stuff more than we value the things of the kingdom, we struggle. And Jesus is saying until we align our stuff with him, until we value him and what he values in his kingdom, we're not going to be able to make sense of who we are and what we do. Everything in life will be upside down and backwards until 
we do align our stuff with him. Until we align what we value to his priorities. Until we align what, what we hold in our hands open-handedly to his purposes. Then things fall into order. Life makes sense. It doesn't mean we don't have problems in life. It just means that we have the provision and the clarity and the purpose to thrive in the midst of those challenges in life and not just survive. We can thrive. And in this scenario with this young man, Jesus could see that that his possessions were placed in a level of prominence that would keep him from putting Jesus in that place of prominence as Lord. And he was telling him, look, you got to make way for me. You got to sell your stuff so that then you can give me your life and your heart will be part of it. See, our heart follows our treasure, and our stuff can get in the way. And when we don't understand how that works in life, we don't understand how who we are and what we do connects to what we do with our stuff, then that's the point that we can chase the wrong thing. We can pursue and live the wrong dream. But there will come a point for all of us where Jesus is going to assess what we have done and what we've not done. He's going to come up and say, look, here's, I want to see what you've done and not done. And I'm going to do it through the lens of my kingdom. I'm going to put on some specs that just run me through the grid of my values, my priorities, what was important to me. He's going to assess it based on his kingdom values. In fact, this is what he said in a conversation with his disciples. He said, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have what? Done. It's according to what they've done. So here's the thing. What we do doesn't determine who we are. Who we are, our identity, determines what we do. And what we do determines the level of success by which we have lived for him in this world. So what we do matters. And it's true in every area of life. Loving God, loving others, making disciples. And again, if Jesus is truly Lord, if we position him with authority in our life, then he will define what we do and what we are. He'll say, this is who you are, this is what I want you to do, and it's out of the context of my kingdom. We're not just to be a people who live saved, just in an an identity with him. There is an expression of that salvation that comes out in how we live. What we do matters. And we have to be positioned with open hands, with the things that he has given us, to make sure that our stuff doesn't end up having us. And we get to the end of this journey and find out we haven't been part of what we thought we were. There's a... A phrase that's kind of running around our culture right now. It says, the person with the most toys, what? Wins. Yeah, person with the most toys wins. It's kind of catchy, kind of fun. Seems like it's like, like a challenge. Go get it. But here's the deal. The idea that getting more stuff brings us more happiness, the idea of possessions bringing us more joy, is not really true. And Jesus blew that concept out of the water when he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. He said, it's more blessed to give than receive. It's better to give than to have. That's kingdom economics. And we know if we're living by the things of the kingdom and in this kind of concept based on what we value, what we say is important, what we say we're going to pursue, what we protect. Because ultimately, what we value reveals who we follow. The things that we say, this is important. I'm going to, I'm going to chase this. I'm going to hold this of high priority. He's the one that, that defines really who's defining things in our life. And so what we value reveals who we follow. what we decide, how we live life. This past week, I saw a brand new TV show. Don't watch a lot of TV. I just happened to be flipping through. And and I saw this show just aired this past week. It was called The Briefcase. Who who maybe, who saw it? All right, not a lot of you. Great, cool. Now my story's even better. So here's how this works. So the producers of the show take a briefcase to two different couples. 
They give them the briefcase, and inside the briefcase is $100,000. So each couple gets $100,000. And they tell them, say, look, you have 72 hours to decide what you're going to do with this money. You can keep it or you can give it away to another family in need that we've already identified. Interesting. So they have 72 hours to figure that out. And they do some things to, to kind of make it more interesting. They say, look, you can keep all of it or you can give all of it away. You can keep some of it and give some, another percentage away. It's up to you how you end up doing this, but you have 72 hours to decide. In fact, today, you, one spouse, are going to go and you're going to decide on your own at the bank what to do. And then the next day, your spouse can go back and change what you decided to do. That's a real good idea in a marriage. That works really well. But it was a fascinating idea and concept as they're talking through what to do with that, keep it, not keep it, their needs, what they what might do. And then, the, then the, the producer started feeding them information about the other needy family. And in the end, these two couples who each had a briefcase of $100,000 had to make a decision. And once they made that decision of what they would keep and what they would give, then they found out that the other needy couple was the other couple with another briefcase. And so what, what could happen in that scenario is that one couple could say, we're going to keep it all because we need it. The other couple could say, we're going to give it all. And one couple could end up with $200,000 and the other end up with nothing, which seems really wrong to me. But that's one of the scenarios. And this show had me on the edge of my seat. And it takes a lot to get me on the edge of my seat for a TV show. But I'm like, what's going to happen? Is my faith in mankind going to be restored? They're bickering back and forth. They're fighting. What's going to happen? And, and, and in the end, these two couples in the first episode, both couples decided to give $100,000 fully away. It was awesome. They each ended up with $100,000 each, having given $100,000 away, and it is more blessed to give than receive. Even if it didn't work out equal like that. Because in the kingdom of God, his economics, what's important, what is valuable, is to take a posture of giving. It is more blessed to give than receive. And what we value reveals who we follow. You see, if we're really going to be followers of Jesus Christ, it, it means that we take a posture of giving. And that, that giving posture is modeled in Jesus. It's God gave first. He gave Jesus. And when we take a posture of giving, then the first thing we need to do in our giving posture is to give back to God what's His. He's already determined what that is. He says, that's your first fruits. It's the top 10%. It's the tithe. That belongs to me. He says, you need to give that back to me. And if we are truly followers of Jesus, we will take the first fruits of our life, the first fruits of our earning, that tenth, that tithe, and we'll give it back to God for His purpose and advancement of His kingdom. And when we do that, tithing, tithing is, an, tithing is an expression of obedience, not generosity. Tithing is not generosity. Generosity starts at 11%. Tithing is obedience. But you know what? It's really, really, really tempting to take a posture of keeping rather than giving. But if we follow Jesus, a posture of giving is inherent to his kingdom. And if we find ourselves in a place where we're struggling to give and we're really desiring to keep, and that's our lean, that's our posture, that's a really good indication that our stuff has us. You see, what we value reveals who we follow. So let's go back for a moment to the conversation where Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to come back and reward what people have done. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. 
Matthew chapter 16, first book of the, of the New Testament. And we're picking this up right, uh, right after Peter declares that Jesus is Messiah. It's a beautiful moment. He declares he's Messiah. Uh, Jesus responds with Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. It's awesome. And then Jesus starts to describe how he's going to have to suffer at the hands of religious leaders. He's going to be killed. And Peter doesn't like it. Peter actually starts protecting what's he, what he likes and stops pursuing what Jesus loves. And he begins, to, he begins to scold Jesus, and Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. It, it kind of goes like this. Uh, as he began to re- rebuke him, uh, he said, and Peter says, never, Lord. And notice he began to. It's almost like Jesus didn't let him get into it all the way. He just jumped right on it. He began to say, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. You see, Peter shifted his thinking. He, he, went, he went from pursuing the things of the kingdom to protecting what he liked. He took a posture of gripping rather than giving. He took a position of really choosing to live saved in, instead of sent. And whenever we start protecting what we like, we stop pursuing what he loves. So let's look at what happens in the rest of this conversation. Jesus said, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. You know, one of the the differences that Jesus really wanted His disciples to understand and us to understand is that denying self is different than self-denial. Self-denial is when we set aside something or, or some investment for a period of time, like a diet, like I'm not going to eat this certain type of food for this amount of time for some reason. That's, that's self-denial. But denying self, what Jesus is talking about, denying self is surrendering who we are and what we do to Him and His kingdom and His values and His priorities. It's living loved and linked and sent. And Jesus modeled this perfectly, and we're supposed to follow him. But, but here's the thing, that there is a, there's a fundamental reality that Jesus is highlighting in here about, about whether we take a posture of giving or gripping. And, and here's what it is, that when we cling to what we have, when we cling to what we have, we give up what we can gain. When you and I cling and grip and hold tightly to what we have, we say, this is mine and I'm not going to give it away, then we actually lose what we can gain in the bigger picture overall. And and human nature is really more geared towards indulging rather than denying. But when we surrender to Jesus, when we give him our life, when we live loved and linked and sent, then every time we give, it doesn't, doesn't take from us, it adds to our life. Because it is more blessed to give than receive in his kingdom. And we find true happiness and joy in a posture of giving. Even Jesus himself said this about what things can cost. He said, look, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms, for my name's sake... If you've given, if you've left, if you've sacrificed anything for my name's sake, we'll receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
When we follow Jesus, we maintain a posture of giving. We find life and life to the full. And, and the reality is that he then, in that life, positions us to truly live. When we enter into the kingdom, he positions us to live in the kingdom, but still here. So if you have found life in Jesus, how are you living today? Or maybe the better question is, for whose sake are you living? For whose sake are you living? Is it yours? Is it God's? When we understand kingdom and kingdom dynamics, then, then we, it changes the way we work, the way we save, the way we handle possessions, the way we relate to people. It changes all of that. And it's really about what we do with the briefcase that we have been given. Are we going to keep it or give it? It's our time. It's our talent. It's our treasure. Are you going to keep it or are you going to give it? For whose sake are you living? What we value reveals who we follow. And it's God's heartbeat, Jesus' heartbeat, that we would use our possessions and never let our possessions use us. So for whose sake are you living? You know, no matter where you're at in your journey of life, spiritual journey, there are really just three things that Jesus wants us to do to experience full life. Just three. It's this, to receive life, to live life, and give life. To receive life, live life, and give life. It starts with receiving life. If you're someone here today who's not spiritually resolved, you haven't worked out your relationship with God, you have not given your life to Jesus, it starts with receiving life. When we surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we find forgiveness for that sin, we receive the gift of eternal life, and we begin to walk with God. That's where it starts. But once He gives us that new life, then we need to live it. Live that life. In Jesus, the life we live, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him who died for us. We live it by faith. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I have come that they may have life. And I love that verse because we get to have life. It's awesome. Like, man, we get to live life and life to the full. But here's the thing. We often read that verse and we get to that word they and we think that's us. We get to have life and we think it's just us. But have you ever looked at that word they and understand it's not just us? I have come that they may have life. They include your neighbor. They are your, are your co-workers. It's your boss. It's your teacher. It's the waitress at the restaurant. It's the cashier at the store. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's not just us, it's them. Which is why he positions us to live loved and linked and sent and ultimately not just live life but give life. We're created to give ourselves away as he gave himself away. But this is actually a place that we don't always understand how or even understand why. And we can get jammed up here because we just don't do it. We, we think it's optional of whether we're to give life. And, and we get jammed up because we stop. So if you've got your sermon note guide still, I want you to turn back to the, to the front page and let's finish this drawing. Because of, for those of you who crave order, you're like, this is not done. we got to finish this side of the paper. Come on. So here's the deal. Everyone needs Jesus. 
They just don't know it yet. And when you and I step into relationship with God through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are saved. But that's not the destination. That's the beginning point where he positions us to then live sent. Where we live our lives in a way that allows these people to understand this concept and find relationship to be saved as well and then in turn to live sent. But here's the challenge. There's another gap. In our world, in our culture that is increasingly post-Christian, where there are, there are so many issues, there are tons of gaps. They are relational gaps, cultural gaps, religious gaps, gender gaps, race gaps, you name it. There are so many gaps in our world today that we actually have the opportunity and the privilege of building bridges. This is part of what it means to live, this is what it means to live sent and what it means to be part of the kingdom. Yet too many times we think we can just hang here, maybe say a few things, yell over the gap, throw some information across the gap and say, hey, come on, deal with it. But we are positioned to build bridges that facilitate these folks moving into place to understand this gap and to make their own choice to step into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I get that there are some people who say, well, that feels to me like that's diminishing the gospel. It is just Jesus. It is just the gospel. But listen, that is a lie. This is the whole gospel. It is this concept that allows us to bring into clarity Matthew 25, where we started our series, where Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats, and how, and how, the, how the master said, look, I was, I was hungry and thirsty, I was, I was naked and I was sick and I was in prison, and you sheep took care of me and you goat, goats did not. This brings into clarity that parable. The parable of the servant who buried his one talent, who got in trouble and called wicked and lazy, was because he did not take what God had given him, his possessions, and use them in a way that reflected the kingdom and allowed others to come into the kingdom and bring glory to his master. He just buried it. And this second gap reality is really the breakdown many times when we're trying to lead others into relationship with Jesus because we don't understand the need to establish that relational connection to bridge the gap to position them to understand this and to make their own choice to step into it. You see, we're a church, not a business. And so we're for people, not profit. And, and we don't use people to save money. We use money to save people. And we don't just measure the things of the temporal world, we measure the things of the eternal. And as we wrap up the Live in the Dream series and we're getting ready to step into Acts, a church on fire, we're going to continue to dig deeper and unpack the realities of how the church is to function, how we corporately live out this reality and how as we, we as individuals do the same. It's the starting point of really moving beyond understanding who we are and what we do to fully live out the kingdom and reflect the heart of God. You know, there are, there are so many needs in this world that it can be overwhelming to think about all these gaps. When we start talking about moving Vita and Aueva, we're not talking about moving them into a building, we're talking about moving the church into a neighborhood. We're, we're talking about the Esperanza Center, the Hope Center, a place where there are community-based ministries that are helping to establish this reality of the bridge so that there is hope in a world where people are struggling and hurting the least, the last, and the lost are in that place. And, and so we can build this bridge and then they can find out the true hope, the real hope. 
When Jesus said to the sheep and the goats, he said, you did and you did not care for me. They said, when did we not, or when did we care for you? When did we not care for you? And Jesus said, when you, whatever you did for the least of these. And so we as a church, we're stepping into a season where we're going to see lots of needs in front of us and we can't handle them all. They can get overwhelming, but what we can do is, is handle the one that's in front of us. And we're stepping faithfully into communities God is positioning us to invest in. And he's positioning you in relationships to invest in them as well. And as we do that, we're going to unpack this reality a little bit more. But don't get caught up in, in so many different needs. And like, I can't do anything, so I'm not going to, I can't do everything, so I'm not going to do anything. It was Mother Teresa who said this. She said, look at the individual. I, I look at the individual. I can love only one person at a time. I can feed only one person at a time. Just one, one, one. So as we go through life seeking to live love, linked, and sent, do what you can for the one, what you wish you could do for the all. Can you imagine what would happen if we as a people lived in a way, if we lived as a church in a way that could change the world, that could change these cities, where we built these bridges that allowed others to find life in Jesus Christ? We can literally see these communities changed. God is positioning us to do that. The question is, for whose sake are you living? For whose sake are you living? I can't wait to see what God's going to do as he sets this church on fire as we continue to journey with him. Let's take a moment to pray as we step back into worship and at a time of communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as the church. I love that you have positioned us to be part of your kingdom. You have given us an identity and a purpose. May you continue to have your will and your way. May we live and move and have our being in your son, Jesus. For my friends here today who maybe have not yet resolved where they're at spiritually, God, I pray that you would speak to them in these next few moments as we prepare to worship and take communion. If they've not yet chosen to, to cross that, that gap of sin and step into relationship with you through Jesus, I pray they would do that today as they hear your love and your voice calling them. But for all of us who have taken that step, I pray that you position us, not, position us with the courage and the wisdom to live sent, not just saved. That we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and we would be willing to invest in the least, the last, and the lost in a way that brings you glory. So Father, in these next few moments, continue to speak to us, but then also move us as a church that we would be your people on mission, loved, linked, and sent for your glory. I love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.